The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Good Night Maryland Radio with your host, Nina Bosky. It's been more than 50 years since the tragic death of one of Hollywood's biggest stars at the time and in history, Marilyn Monroe. Nina seeks to uncover the life and death of this legendary star as it coincides with the pre-production of the feature film, Good Night, Marilyn. You'll get a chance to question, explore, and discover the secrets surrounding what really happened that fateful night back in 1962. Let's start the conversation. Here is the host of Good Night, Marilyn Radio, Nina Bosky. The late Marilyn Monroe. Happy birthday, Mr. President. Happy birthday to you. Hi, everyone. I'm Nina Bosky for Goodnight Maryland Radio, and welcome to the show as we explore the investigation, the life, and the movie all surrounding Marilyn Monroe. We have a couple of shout-outs today. Andrea from Palm Springs, California. Brandy from Erie, Pennsylvania. Hello, Brandy. Happy Friday to you. And Virginia from San Francisco. Happy, happy Friday. And Shelly, I hope I'm saying this right, from Malmo, Sweden. John from Nice, France. And of course, a, a special hello to Eric in San Diego, California. Hello, good night, Maryland fans. As we are growing around the world each and every day, and it's because of you and this story that we're shedding some great light on this mystery that's been plaguing many of us, especially when you start to look at all the holes in this case. There are many holes, and as we talk to more and more people who have been studying Marilyn for years, you know, people have theories on what happened to her. There's so much misinformation out there, and it becomes difficult to know what is fact from fiction and probable theory from outlandish rumor. So today's theme is Hollywood and the Kennedy Connection, and we're going to separate them out today because, as you know, this is really about the life and the investigation, of course, the movie as well. But we're going to be talking a little bit about the life before we get into the Kennedy connection. So as you join the conversation, we'll have a very dynamic and compelling, I'm sure, conversation for many of you who think that the Kennedys were involved. But today's show may make you feel a little bit like, wow, what I thought was true maybe isn't true. It might be turned upside down. Some of you, it may give you answers. For others of you, like myself, you may have more questions. So let's get this show started as we begin with the land of Hollywood, the golden era where, you know, in the valley here in Los Angeles, it was filled with actual orange groves. Hollywood was a place where you did find many stars at wonderful locations like the Macambo, you know, the Macambo Ambassadors Hotel, Coconut Grove and the Brown Derby, the Formosa Cafe. Those were really big hangouts and the big studios like Warner Brothers, Paramount, Universal, and, the tw- and of course, 20th Century Fox. 
Bungalow 42. That was Marilyn's uh, last picture where she worked on Something's Gotta Give, and that was her bungalow there on uh, the studio light, uh, the studio lot. And uh, she was at the height of her career, and there were many people who captured her over the years, but one of the most well-known and iconic photographers of the golden age of Hollywood was Bruno Bernard. And I am so excited to have Susan Bernard on with us. Uh, She's an author of Marilyn Intimate Exposures, six previous books. She's a woman on the move, Bernard of Hollywood, and I'm very excited to have her on the show. And then later on in the hour, we'll have Immortal Marilyn's Leslie Kasperowitz. She'll chime in with her research and best-selling author, Gary Vitaco Robles, Icon, Lifetimes, and Films of Marilyn Monroe, Volume 1 and 2. It's, boy, that's a, that's a wonderful study. And our investigation team member, Daryl Connerton, who uh, is on our law enforcement side of our investigative team, will give us a historical viewpoint as we talk about the Kennedy connection. And I think Ricky Jones may chime in with us as uh, he will give us a little insight too. Want to say some thank yous to Randall Libero, our uh, executive producer, Mike Surgit, our engineer, and Drew Masters, our talent booker. Well, I want to get this show on the road because we have so much to cover today. Susan Bernard, our first guest, is an author of the best-selling book, Marilyn Intimate Exposures, which has been published in eight languages. She's the author of seven books. She's been an actress and starred with legends such as Orson Welles, Henry Fonda. She's best known for her cult classic, Faster Pussycat, Kill, Kill, and that uh, critic Roger uh, Ebert and director John Walters deemed their favorite film. She was named by Playboy magazine as one of the the 100 most beautiful women of the century. She is the daughter of the legendary glamour photographer Bruno Bernard and professionally known as the Bernard of Hollywood, one of the most sought-out photographers of Hollywood's golden era and who discovered Marilyn Monroe. Susan is the founder and president of Bernard's of Hollywood, Renaissance Road, Inc., and Bernard of Hollywood Publishing, or I think that's what it means, which preserves the exhibits and licenses of her father's work. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Um, so glad to have you here, uh, Susan. So let's let's go back to uh, the late 1940s, where it all began, and she wasn't even Marilyn Monroe yet. She was Norma Jean. Tell us, tell us how your father and Marilyn met. Well, um, it was a humid summer day in Los Angeles, and my father was coming out of his dentist office, and his cheek was all swollen, and he thought he would not, you know, uh, go to his studio, back to his studio that afternoon and just sort of rest, but instead, as he walked out of the dentist's office on Sunset Boulevard, he saw this teenager, and she was you know, just full of joy and, and tight white shorts and just sort of like wiggling past him. And then he thought to himself, oh, my gosh, who is she? And he did something he usually doesn't do, but he w- walked up to her and he said, Miss, I'd like to take some test shots of you. And he gave her his card, and on the card it said the Bernard of Hollywood Studios. And he said, this is purely professional. Well, of course, she was thrilled. It was 1946, and that was, she was just Norma Jean then. And she had always had this dream when she was, you know, when she grew up in the orphanages on Holly, Holly Orphanage, right in Hollywood. And um, 
she used to look out of her window at night when she was just a kid and say, and you know, and wish to herself, uh, I'm, one day I'm going to be a movie star. She'd keep dreaming and wishing it. One day I'm going to be a movie star. I know there must be thousands of girls like me doing the same, but I'm dreaming the hardest. Susan, you know, one of the things that she, in some ways, she was a pioneer in the ultimate uh, power of intention and the, in the secret. She was, you know, doing the law of attraction in a big way, and she didn't even know it. Absolutely. You know, she visualized, she, she saw it, and she said, one day I'm going to have a dressing room just like Betty Grable. <laughs> and, you know, uh, <laughs> when she finally did get her contract, her first contract that came out of the photos that my father had taken, um, uh, she did get Betty Grable's um, um, wardrobe uh, trailer, and uh, uh, not even trailer. She had a beautiful, beautiful um, uh, dressing room of her own. Um, and those photos that he took of her, uh, he gave to 20th Century Fox. That was the, we call it the Discovery Series, 1946. It's the first photos he ever took of her, the first sessions, and they were in color, they were gorgeous, and they were in black and white, and he gave it to Ben Lyons, the head of talent, and then Ben immediately um, said they were fantastic, who is this girl, and they gave her a screen test, and based on that, she got her first contract at Fox. And um, And she credits him for that, too. Absolutely, she credited my dad for that. Um, When she was on the set of The Seven-Year Itch, he went to do a cover story on her for Red Book. And he usually doesn't do crowd scenes or whatever. And that was when she was in her fabulous white halter dress and her flying skirt, as we all know, over the grate. Um, And he flew into New York to do that only because Marilyn was there. And... um, and the crowd was cheering on Lexington Avenue, and her and Billy Wilder said, "Cut!" because there was all this noise, you know, and mm-hmm. and all and all the crowds they couldn't keep them still, or or once in a while she'd flub a line, or it was it was just so much hectic. It was just the most insanity that was going on. Um, Marilyn, Marilyn, more and more, you know, and then the, and then Billy Wilder would get very upset and said, "Cut! Cut! Cut! Let's do it again." And um, and the wind uh, machine man was under the grate on the subway, and he was blowing his wind maker, you know, up her dress, and yeah. um, and it kept blowing, it kept blowing and blowing, and sometimes it would blow right over her head, and <laughs> you could even see her face. And you know, she was the kind of person that would just give her the crowd what they wanted until she would get it right. And um, then suddenly she saw um, my dad in the crowd, and she stopped everything. And then in front of everybody, in her, you know, famous Marilyn whisper, famous breathless whisper, she said, Bernie, everything started with you, you know, and Aww. she embraced him, and everybody was looking on, and then Billy Wilder got very upset, because he knew my dad. He says, Bruno, what are you doing here? Because he mostly knows he works from a studio, and... um his own studio on Sunset, and he said, and, and then before you know it, they were talking, and then they said, cut, cut. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Wilder threw his cap down on the ground. Oh, let's just cut in a break. And then my father went back, um, back, you know, into the Lex- Lex- Lexington uh, Theater where they were doing her makeup, 
and he started to talking to her and took some fabulous shots, uh, what we call backstage, that people have never seen before other than in my book. And Whitey Snyder started making her up, touching her up, and they start catching up, her and Marilyn. And In fact, I gave uh, Whitey Snyder, before he passed, a color photo of him making her up, and he said, you know, Susan, I've never had a photo of her in color um, in her white dress. And I said, oh, isn't that wonderful? So I sent it to him, of course, and he died Aww. shortly after that. Well, and there's also a great shot. She's just kind of lounging in the theater seats, too. Right. There's a shot of her where she's, um, she's got her feet up on the, um, on the, on the red seats of yeah. the screening, you know. Of the, of, and that was actually a screening room where she was sort of like watching herself on the screen. That was when they reshot the scene, the famous flying skirt scene, in Hollywood. So most people don't know that they think it was only shot in New York. No, because of the noise, Billy Wilder had to create a whole new set on the stage. Oh, wow. It looked like Lexington Avenue, New York. And, um, and my father shot her there again. Wow. Yeah. So, and, and then, and then, um, in, you know, that was that movie and then they still, I mean, they still, there was this thread that kept, you know, coming back around with Marilyn and your father. Oh yeah. Um, he seemed to have shot her in the most crucial times of her life. And, um, when she lost her contract to Fox and she lost the contract she had to Columbia after that, um, she came in, you know, to my dad's studio, very forlorn, and because uh, she trusted him, and um, and she was like really, you know, she was looking for something, something with to save or something would show up, um, and any indication of, you know, and timing and chance was always something of their destiny. And my dad had been commissioned to do a cover layout story at sort of his home away from home where he had a second studio at the exclusive Palm Springs Racquet Club. I used to always call it a destination for disappearance. This was a club, <laughs> this was a club that um, uh, the stars of Hollywood's golden era could roll up their sleeves and just be themselves. And the only one who really got photographic privileges was my dad. And, um, well, she was, you know, this was, you know, she'd have a modeling assignment and they went there that, that Saturday and, um, she was up on the, um, board, you know, the diving board and she was standing really strong with her hands on her hips in a two piece bathing suit and these, um, four inch cork heels that, which are very fashionable now, Nina, mm-hmm, <laughs> you know, of course. and, uh, and she, and literally all the tennis courts and everybody was swept clean. I mean, everybody was in awe. Yeah. But there was this one person who was really in awe. He came up to my dad and he said, who is this dame, Bernie? <laughs> and my dad felt it was a, he was a little kind of crude, in, you know, because he was in the middle of shooting her. And then he realized, oh, no, this person could really help Marilyn. And Marilyn said, who is that guy? And then he said, and then my dad said, Marilyn, he may be short in statue, but he's long in connections. He was the vice president, Jimmy Hyde, the vice president of the William Morris Agency. Wow. And my dad introduced her to Jimmy. And I'm, I'm sorry, it should be Johnny. Yes. Uh, Johnny, I said Jimmy, because actually I think Jimmy was his son. And Johnny and, um, um, and Johnny literally 
fell head over heels just over her on a personal level and started to be a mentor to her. And and as it goes from what my dad said, she really started to care for him deeply. And, well, as as fate would have it again for Marilyn, who in a sense had a great deal of luck and timing of where she appeared and where my dad would appear for her in a sense together, um, suddenly um, he got her uh, the day before he concluded the negotiations of a seven-year, not just a six-month contract, a seven-year Fox contract, he passed of a massive heart attack. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, so, so my dad had really been there at crucial moments, and, of course, uh, so many other times he photographed her after that and many famous pinup photos because he was, in a sense, the pioneer of pinup photography plus some wonderful portraits and Pin up also, Susan, but just these glorious, I mean, he takes you right back to that day, whether it's Marilyn or another star in that time period. I just, uh, I love his photos. I mean, what a wonderful legacy that you have. We only have just a few more minutes, Susan, but if you could kind of sum up your dad's connection to Marilyn in maybe a sentence in two, what do you think he would say about her today? I think... She had, um, she had a, she had, for someone who had no foundation, absolutely no foundation because of her sad background, um, she really had great strength and great courage. And that is what people didn't know about her because to become who she was took, took an immense amount. And, um, and he had great, great respect for her and endurance and a great drive and um, and my father had the same because he escaped Nazi Germany, came here um, penniless, and yes. um, you know, and grew up in an orphanage, just like, an orphanage just like Marilyn, and made uh, m- captured the American dream just as she captured it, and um, and um, and they had that very much in common, and they had done it. They they got they well, achieved they, they... the dream. They had the soul connection and a lot of commonalities, which, uh, you know, allowed that bond to happen. And I find the synchronicity of them coming together at certain times very interesting. And what a legacy to remember. And I just want to put out the website, bernardofhollywood.com. And no, your I would book say is it's info, 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 bernardofhollywood.com. If anybody, you know, and we could also give anybody um, a link that emails that um to our extraordinary collection that's available, but we first we don't give out the link to the private collection until someone emails us at info bernardofhollywood dot com, and also we have a wonderful Facebook that people are so interested in posting and sharing their their thoughts about Marilyn at www dot facebook dot com slash Marilyn Intimate Exposures, and my staff will definitely show me everything. We go over everything that comes in, and I'm uh, and you know that's how fans reach us. And I'm always happy to be in touch or share or make them one of the new collectors. And my book, Marilyn Intimate Exposures, which has been a bestseller, they could certainly find on Amazon. Wonderful! Thank you so much for being on the show today, Susan Bernard. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. All right, you're listening to Goodnight Marilyn Radio, and we'll be back in just a moment. Thank you. 
the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Mad Genius Radio presents Marilyn. For those of us who can't get enough of Marilyn Monroe, especially her iconic musical performances, Mad Genius Radio has expertly curated a genre of hundreds of tracks performed by Marilyn and friends. It is the quintessential collection of music for a journey of glamour, grace, and allure. Listen for free only on Mad Genius Radio. Available in the App Store, Google Play, and desktop at madgeniusradio.com. There are over 140 million products manufactured worldwide. It is impossible to know the ingredients in these products, especially those made overseas. Stan Salat, creator of the HSF Mark and the Counterfeit Mark Alliance, is the host of People to People, working together for your safety. Stan believes in our right to know the type and amount of hazardous materials in consumer products and whether they are counterfeit. Find out how you can protect yourself every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Tune in to Patricia Raskin Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call in to Patricia Raskin Positive Living Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. It's practical, positive solutions for a happy, empowered, and successful life. You are listening to Goodnight Marilyn Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hi, I'm Greg Schreiner from Marilyn Remembered. Did you know that Marilyn had an inner switch where she could go from Norma Jean to Marilyn Monroe? How do I know this? Well, I was friends with Susan Strasberg, and she said when they would be walking down a street together, she would be normally just Norma Jean. And then she would turn to Susan and say, Do you want to see Marilyn? And Susan would say, Yes. She would make an inner adjustment and suddenly everybody was noticing her. For Good Night Marilyn Radio and Marilyn Remembered, I'm Greg Schreiner. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the show as I have two uh, wonderful guests coming up with us. Uh, they have definitely, uh, I would say, uh, Maryland experts. Gary Vitaka Robles, who is uh, also on our investigative team, is one of the Maryland experts. He is a licensed mental health counselor, national certified counselor for over 20 years. Gary has provided trauma-focused treatment to children and families who've survived abuse in adults with major psychiatric disorders. Gary is also the author 
author of Cursum Proficio, Marilyn Monroe's Brentwood Hacienda, the story of her final months, as well as Icon, The Lifetimes and Films of Marilyn Monroe, Volumes 1 and 2. It's critically acclaimed as one of the most comprehensive and definitive biographies of the actress. And Leslie Kasperowitz, who uh, I have the pleasure and the privilege of having her back on the show. Leslie has been studying the life of Marilyn Monroe for over 25 years. She's been working with Immortal Marilyn since 1998 to protect and preserve Marilyn's memory and promote the truth about her life. Two wonderful guests to have on the show today as we talk about the Kennedy connection. This is just, we're just scratching the surface here because there's a lot more to cover here that we're going to probably in the next 20 minutes. But I do want to bring these two on the show. Welcome as we explore this very controversial and fascinating topic about the Kennedys and Marilyn. Hi guys. Hi Nina. Hi Nina. Good to be back. Oh, I'm glad to have you here. So let's begin with John F. Kennedy. Let's let's break out the Kennedy boys, okay? Because each of them in their own right have different, uh, different uh, reasons for being part of this story. So if we look at JFK, and Gary, I'll start with you, and uh, let's talk about, um, and, and Mary Jane uh, Gray talked about this last week, the documented cases of, of JFK and Marilyn and their relationship. How did it start? Well, you know, they both attended a ball in New York with their respective spouses at the time in 1957, so nothing really significant there. But um, their first place together um, shortly before Marilyn's death in November of 1961, when there was a luncheon at the Lawford estate, and um, Marilyn had just completed the Douglas Kirkland shoot. And that is their first uh, official meeting that we can pinpoint. And um, it's documented in the official uh, presidential schedule. And um, uh, then we can probably place Marilyn in New York in uh, early 1961 when she's photographed uh, with Carl Sandburg. And Kennedy was there to accept an award uh, from the Football Foundation. So uh, it is believed that Marilyn was asked to attend a, a fundraiser at the home of Fifi Feld, the widow of John R. Feld from um, Lehman Brothers. So there are some eyewitnesses that that she was there at the um, Feld home. And then most significant is the third meeting in Palm Springs. Kennedy was um, at the University of California at Berkeley and Vandenberg Air Force Base. And he did an overnight at Bing Crosby's estate. And there's multiple witnesses that, that Marilyn was there. Uh, In fact, she went to her psychiatrist's home earlier in the day because her plumbing had been turned off for renovations on her home. So she prepared, actually, at the psychiatrist's home and um, then joined the president. Marilyn's closest confidant was probably Ralph Roberts, her masseur, and he remembers Marilyn putting a man on the phone to talk about the solus muscle because Marilyn was an expert of um, anatomy and, um, of course, Roberts was a masseur, and um, the the gentleman who was put on the phone had a Bostonian accent, so Ralph Roberts took that to be the president, and then later Marilyn disclosed that to him. Of course, we've got their fourth connection um, at the JFK Gala in New York, and um, Kennedy was not accompanied by his wife, but Marilyn was accompanied by her father, in law, her former father in law, Isidore Miller, and so they're um, photographed together. 
the famous picture of JFK and Robert and Marilyn um, is actually cropped, and um, <laughs> Miller is in that photograph, but he's always cropped from it. Um, <laughs> and so and that's, that's where we can place them. So, so, Leslie, what do you have to add to what Gary just said? Oh, well, that's, he's covered that pretty well. Um, but I would, I would like to add that there are multiple stories that Marilyn left that party that night, uh, with, went back with JFK and spent the evening with him after the party. And that's absolutely not true because she did return to her New York apartment and was stayed by Miller's side the entire evening, was very, uh, doting on him. She absolutely adored her father-in-law. Um, and there's, there's absolutely no evidence that she was at any time alone with him on any occasion other than, uh, in Palm Springs. So, you know, when you start to expand into the thing, oh, well, she saw him that night. Yes, she saw him, but that doesn't place them alone together, and that doesn't create an affair. (laughs) And we have Marilyn's limousine Mm -hmm. records that show that she went back to Brooklyn to drop off her father-in-law and returned home, and James Haspiel, probably her biggest fan in New York, um, is eyewitness to her arriving home um, very early in, in the morning. So the only one then that we can actually have some speculation about is the Bing Crosby uh, Palm Springs that we actually have documented. You know, one of the things that I want to put out there is that these are the facts. And so I think when we look at what the facts are, right, it doesn't put them together many, many times, right, except for that sure. one time that you could say overnight. And that's a fact, okay? That's what we know. But the thing that we all have to think about, and we'll have Daryl Connerton at the end of this show, uh, and he's ex, uh, ex, uh, you know, uh, you know, Department of Defense. He worked during the Kennedy administration from fifty-nine to sixty-two, and one of the things he's going to come on and say in as uh, on the record, and this is this is not something that is is unusual, but every president, including JFK, has off the record meetings. Secret Service set them up, and we will never know about them. So that's a probable. The- that's a fact. Is it, is it relating to Marilyn Monroe? We will never know. And so, but the thing is, is what we do know is that this, this is what we know as fact. Probable theory? That could be a probable theory. It certainly can't be completely ruled out as an outlandish rumor because every president, including JFK, had unauthorized Secret Service meetings that were never, never on the record. So with that said, do you guys believe that there is any, any uh, you know, validity to the fact that the president and Marilyn had an affair? Leslie, I'll start with you. Uh, I think that affair implies that there was some kind of deep emotional involvement, and certainly a lot of the stories that have come out of those few little bits of facts that we have have leaned towards Marilyn having been uh, allegedly in love with JFK, believing that she was going to be the first lady. And that is just utter nonsense. There's no evidence of it. The way she spoke to her friends uh, about Kennedy gave no indication that she felt that way about him. Um, She admired him. uh, She admired his political stance. um, And it's, it's, I believe that there was a, a brief, intimate encounter, um, but I don't believe that it could be called an affair, no. Got it. And I think that's an important thing because that's a really big rumor that is out there. I mean, that's a really big one, that she was calling Jackie in the White House. And, you know, so, so and there, just, there's absolutely no evidence of that. Her phone records don't indicate that she made any such phone calls. What we have of her phone records don't show any such phone calls. 
Um, and it, it's out of character for Marilyn. It's absolutely out of character for her. She was not that kind of person at all. She was so very private. And, uh, you know, we're talking about a woman in her mid-30s uh, who had been through two marriages. We're not talking about a young girl with fantasies of being the first lady. We're talking about an intelligent woman who simply knew better. Uh, you know, even if she had had some involvement with JFK, to to extrapolate from that that she was in love with him and was uh, calling Jackie and, and engaging in this absurd behavior, uh, it's just, it, it doesn't make sense at all from what we know of Marilyn. Really, this is really, see, to me, I think this is an important one because you hear this over and over and over again about how she was calling the White House and calling Jackie and, you know, telling everybody that she was going to be, you know, uh, the first lady and that, you know, they were going to get a divorce. Gary, what do you have to add to that? Well, I would have to say, again, a lot of the, the, the death theories um, are based upon two things, that, that Robert Kennedy or his protectors assassinated her to silence her from disclosing this alleged affair, which we have no evidence of in terms of Robert Kennedy. And um, the other one is that organized crime assassinated her in order to implicate Kennedy um, yeah. and destroy his political career. But, you know, like, like Leslie said, Marilyn was neither spiteful nor vindictive. She would not have retaliated against this family. She spoke well of her husband's after her divorces, and she had spent the last summer of her life trying to restore her professional reputation after being terminated from Fox. So, you know, to think that she would call a press conference to, a, to disclose these things, her, a public relations firm would not have advised they had her fiduciary interests at heart. She would have committed uh, career suicide had she announced these things. So, and so... If it, so let's let's because I we're of time constraints here. Let's 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 move to if we can, Gary, to Bobby Kennedy because you just brought him up, right? Um, what is the relationship with Bobby Kennedy and Marilyn Monroe? Because that one is probably the most controversial. Well, they, we know when they met. They met on February first of '62, and we know this by letters that Marilyn wrote to her former father-in-law and her former stepson. Um, and she, I could quote from it, he seems rather mature and brilliant for his 36 years, but what I liked about him best besides his civil rights program is that he's got such a wonderful sense of humor. And Marilyn very carefully um, prepared for her meeting with him and consulted with Daniel Greenson and other folks so that you know, she, was, she was very good at, at preparing for conversation. And... Um, uh, we know that at the party, the Lawfords were playing um, Chubby Checker's song, Let's Twist Again. And, you know, in the old days, you'd put a record on the spindle and you could have it on repeat and the needle would drop back on the, on the plate and keep playing the song. So uh, Marilyn and um, Robert Kennedy danced the twist. We know this from Gloria Romanoff, whose husband owned a restaurant in the L.A. area. And they were quite a sensation. And people kind of gathered around them and watched them dance. And then afterwards, Robert Kennedy brought Marilyn to the phone and made a phone call to his infirmed father, and she spoke to the elder Kennedy for a period of time. And then there's this very famous note that Gene Kennedy Smith writes to Marilyn, which has been published, that people have used as, as some kind of a piece of evidence to say that there was an affair and that the family endorsed it. But indeed, they were, they were referencing that dance spectacle and the note, and I could read that uh, telegram to you. Mother asked to write and thank you for your sweet note to Daddy. He really enjoyed it, and you were very cute to send it. Understand that you and Bobby are the new item! Exclamation point. We all think you should come 
with him when he comes back east. Again, thanks for the note. Love, Jean Smith. So there was this affinity between um, the Kennedys and Marilyn. She certainly helped uh, the fundraiser, the gala at Madison Square Garden. We also know that Ethel Kennedy attended that with Robert, and they invited Marilyn to their home in Hickory Hill in June of 1962 for a party um, in honor of the Lawfords. And Marilyn uh, sent a telegram to them with her regrets that she wasn't attending. Um, and then there was a final meeting when um, Robert Kennedy was addressing the National Insurance Association in Los Angeles. And um, Marilyn's housekeeper reports that he came to the home in a uh, convertible limousine and uh, visited the home that Marilyn was um, renovating. She continued to call him at the Justice Department, but there's another theory about what that was all about. Hold on one second, Gary. Hold that thought for just a moment. Leslie, do you have any uh, input of what Gary's saying? Because he's saying some really good stuff here. Well, yeah, and I mean, he, he covers it so well, and, and his book is so wonderful that I, I used it as reference to prepare. Um, but I wanted to add that the Lawford Party, um, a really important note about that party is there are some stories that she left the Lawford Party with RFK or that he drove her home because she was drunk. And there is, in fact, a limo receipt that proves that she was driven home by her limo driver um, and not with RFK. Um, so he did not spend the evening with her after that party. Um, and the note to Gene Smith doesn't, you know indicate anything, or from Gene Smith, rather, doesn't indicate anything in that way. It was obviously just a joke, but unfortunately it's been taken uh, way beyond a joke. Um, and then also that many of Marilyn's um, intimate friends, she told them flat out that there was nothing between her and Robert Kennedy. Uh, she told Ralph Roberts it wasn't true, he's not my type. Um, Sidney Skolsky also said the same thing, that uh, there was no affair between them. Uh, so really what I think there was, there was there was a friendship and um, she liked him a lot, um, and he was a very kind, open-hearted person, and I think that he talked to her when she needed someone to talk to, but there's no indication that it was anything more than that. And, Gary, continue on that point. Sorry, to, I just wanted to break it up because yes. there's some good stuff here. Good points that Leslie has. Angie Novello was um, Robert Kennedy's um, personal secretary, and she did take calls from Marilyn, said that, that Robert Kennedy was helpful to most of the folks who called him when they reached out for support, including Judy Garland, but there were never any rumors of an affair with Judy Garland. Um, but the phone calls that Marilyn made to the Justice Department in early July, I think these were related to her um, trying to come back to Fox to finish the film. And Kennedy had a special connection that I think Marilyn believed could help her, and he was maybe willing to help her, in that... Um, there was a connection to Judge Samuel Rosenman. He was a speechwriter for FDR, and he was a superior court justice in New York. But he was also Fox's chairman of the board of directors, and the studio had financial offices in New York. So it seems like uh, Marilyn and Kennedy were hoping to um, leverage some control over uh, Judge Rosenman to support Fox reinstating Marilyn on the, on the film. So there's there's reasons other than just an affair that Absolutely. he that those two could have been talking. Um, this is just scratching the surface. Next week we're going to continue the conversation, obviously with Bobby Kennedy, because that's a that's a definite implication in terms of her last day. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stop it here for right now. As you can tell from Gary and Leslie, 
This is just scratching the surface. And so when we break it down in our next series of shows, I just want to say that this is going, this for me brings up more questions, but yet it starts to bring light to the facts versus so much misinformation that is out there. What is real? What isn't real? And, you know, as for you, as for myself, I have certainly been thinking about, wow, what I thought might have been true. Is it really? So, um, guys, is there any, we have to go to break, but is there one last sentence from both of you that can just sum up the connection between the Kennedys and Marilyn? Leslie? Um, I would say that it was at best, uh, you know, a casual friendship with RFK um, and then with JFK, possibly a, a one night event. And that's really about it. All right, Gary? I would have to agree with Leslie 100%. And I could also imagine that in the climate of Los Angeles and Washington in the 1960s, people who just saw these charismatic, charismatic, attractive, intelligent people in a room together, I'm sure their minds wandered and they (laughs) fantasized about how wonderful it would be if there was really more there. Um, You know, they were icons, and I can see where rumors would would swell, but the truth is that um, they were all friends, and most likely there was perhaps a probable tryst between the president and Marilyn on one night. With Robert Kennedy, I would say improbable. All right, improbable. So there you go. I love it. Well, we have got to take a break. The show, boy, it just goes so fast. You're listening to Goodnight, Marilyn. Thank you, Leslie Kasperowitz and Gary Vitaco Robles. As always, this conversation is going to continue next week as we start to count down the last day of Marilyn's life and what was really happening. We'll be back in just a moment with Daryl Connerton and Ricky Jones. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Dance Talk Radio has come to Voice America. Join host Tracy Marciniak and her celebrity guests every week for a show that takes you inside the world of dance. What's it like working with stars like Katy Perry and Taylor Swift? The experts share their stories and the -the behind-the-scenes secrets. Plus, inside tips to become a better dancer, instructor, or studio owner. Dance on over to the Voice America Variety Channel every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific for Dance Talk Radio. Math Genius Radio presents Marilyn. For those of us who can't get enough of Marilyn Monroe, especially her iconic musical performances, Mad Genius Radio has expertly curated a genre of hundreds of tracks performed by Marilyn and friends. It is the quintessential collection of music for a journey of glamour, grace, and allure. Listen for free only on Mad Genius Radio. Available in the App Store, Google Play, and desktop at madgeniusradio.com. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Goodnight Marilyn Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1-866-472-5788. 
That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Goodnight Marilyn Radio. The Hollywood connection between the Kennedys and Marilyn Monroe is our topic of discussion. And uh, to continue the conversation, I thought I would bring in uh, Daryl Connerton, who was assigned to several departments and agencies, including the Weapons Systems Division for the Department of Defense. He's worked for 20-plus years, now working in Riverside County, the Board of Supervisors, 3rd District. Mr. Connerton handles all law enforcement issues and those issues pertaining to the Office of District Attorney, Probation Department, Defense Attorney's Office, Gang Task Force, Human Trafficking. He also worked with Ricky Jones, who is also on the line, uh, is one of our lead um, investigators on the Goodnight Maryland uh, Task Force as we really get into the investigation. Uh, worked on the film Olympus Has Fallen, starring Mor- uh, Morgan Freeman and Gerard Butler. And just to let you know, uh, Mr. Connerton has also worked during the Kennedy administration as he started back in 1959. So the man was there during that time. So welcome to the show, Daryl and Ricky. Hi, nice thank you. All right. Nice well, Daryl, Daryl, let's let's <laughs> take it back to uh, 1962, and you were working during the Kennedy administration. What was it like as a historical perspective with the Kennedys in power? Well, they were very... Um, powerful. They were very instrumental in making some uh, changes associated with what the Democratic Party's uh, platform was. And uh, once that Bobby Kennedy was was appointed to the um, uh, Attorney General's position, which oversees the um, basically the uh, Secret Service and things of that nature, uh, he basically had controls of what information would be able to get out and what wouldn't, what wasn't. And, and it, uh, it was an interesting time. I would imagine it's an interesting time. Uh, and, and in regards to, you know, we talk about the facts of how we know that Marilyn and JFK, let's just say, and even Bobby Kennedy to some degree, but JFK specifically, the fact of public record. But tell us a little bit about the Secret Service and the not just the, the Kennedy administration, but in terms of presidents. There are these off-the-record meetings that every president has. Tell us a little bit about that as it relates to the Kennedys. Well, as it related to Kennedy, uh, everyone uh, was aware that he had a wandering uh, eye and that uh, he was a very powerful man as the president and the Secret Service's position and job was to make sure that he was not exposed to uh, the press in a bad way. And they would clean up any type of a problem that arose out of anything that he might be doing when he was out. And do we know anything um, that he was doing that he shouldn't have been doing (laughs) that you could tell us about? (laughs) Well, uh, yes, he would have, uh, he would have um, meetings that were not documented with various people, 
Frank, Frank Sinatra was one. Um, George Bishop, when they had the Rat Pack, uh, he met with them uh, at different locations, private uh, nightclubs, uh, where he would be able to mingle with these folks. And everyone knows what Frank Sinatra's association was with organized crime. And it's something that... Uh, Uh, JFK wanted to be involved in those things because it gave him the relief from the pressure of being the president. And when he met Marilyn, uh, he had a fancy for her. And we know that there were some meetings that uh, they had that were not recorded. And we can only assume what took place during those meetings. Yeah. So, no, so, no. so what you're saying is that in terms of your time period that you were there, you knew that there were some off the record meetings, not just the ones that we know about in terms of the public specific that's public. Uh, okay. So, so, you know, so that's to me, I mean, that's pretty probable. I don't think that that's something that any, uh, um, you know, uh, person that's listening to this radio show would say, oh, well, you know, that would never happen. I think that's pretty probable. So we have this fact yes, and we have probability in regards to, because we don't have the specific records because they're off the record of President Kennedy and Maryland getting together. But you certainly, certainly has, has uh, happened over the years. And that uh, to me seems uh, pretty, pretty logical that if they had that one night uh, tryst and, and everybody seems to uh, kind of agree that that could have happened, they could have had an off-the-record Secret Service meeting that none of us are ever going to know about. Uh, so, so back in that time with Bobby Kennedy, what, if anything, do you know about uh, his relationship with Marilyn? Was there any speculation between Marilyn and Bobby Kennedy? I believe that there was, uh, and I don't have first-hand knowledge of this, uh, uh, it's things that I've uh, heard during my tenure, but uh, that it was one of those things that uh, there was a one night uh, that he spent some time with Marilyn, and uh, people rumored that it was uh, it was an encounter that had uh, sexual type of um, innuendos to it. My, go ahead. My feeling is is that whether it happened or didn't happen, his primary job was to make sure that his brother, the president, was protected uh, from any information that would get out uh, about any of the affairs. And I believe that there were affairs. There's. Uh, not documented proof of it, but we do know that they had meetings during times when uh, no one was aware of them having those meetings, and it was arranged by uh, Secret Service people. And now are and you talking Bobby or are you talking JFK? JFK. 
JFK, yeah. So Bobby, being more of the cleanup guy, might have been involved in those. But, you know, again, we're back to uh, Bobby and, uh, you know, uh, Bobby being the cleanup guy, not necessarily the one that was having the affair with Marilyn. Um, Ricky, do you want to chime in at all on this? Is there anything that you want to point out? Yeah, I, 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 the thing I have to say is you look at Bobby Kennedy's character. Um, I personally think he was wonderful at his job, and he had a very difficult job. When you're not just in a position, but it's your brother that's president, and you're appointed to the position of the highest-ranking legal position in America. And I think there was a lot of cleanup uh, and a lot of advice going back and forth between the brothers, and at times he had to step in as attorney general. And I think that took time, and I think there was meetings that took place. You know, again, I, I was not there. I don't know, but I have to speak on what I know of Bobby character's Ken, uh, Bobby Kennedy's character of what has been written about him from people that had firsthand knowledge, things that he has written, speeches that he has given, and just the things about his character that are public knowledge. And I yeah. think it, with him, it was just he was of great character, and he loved and adored his brother. And they had a plan uh, to help America the best they could at the time. And I think his brother's activity got him involved in many things. And at the time, you look at the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, Bobby Kennedy never left his brother's side. He was there to advise him, to strengthen him, to encourage him. And I believe that was his character in all of this. I I don't think, uh, and especially Mr. Connerton, who was around back then, uh, would speak highly of uh, Bobby Kennedy's character as well. Okay. Well, guys, yeah. I can't believe the show is, we're already complete. I mean, this, 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 this uh, topic, as we all know, still needs to be explored. So I want to thank you, Daryl Connerton. What an honor and privilege to have you on the show today and sharing a little insight, especially for you being back in that day of the Kennedy administration. And of course, I can't do this without you, Ricky Jones. So thank you so much for being on the show. Yes, ma'am. All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, Well, this wraps up another show uh, today. Susan Bernard, author of Maryland, Intimate Exposures, and six previous books. Bernard of Hollywood, wonderful photos from Bruno. Immortal Maryland's Leslie Kasperowitz and bestselling author Gary Vitaka Robles. Investigation team members, uh, Daryl Connerton, and, of course, Ricky Jones. What can I say? We ran out of time. Until next time, I'm Nina Bosky for Goodnight Marilyn. And remember, never stop dreaming. Next week, we're covering the last day of Marilyn Monroe's life. Until then. Thank you for joining us for today's show. Goodnight Marilyn Radio with Nina Bosky can be heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be sure to tune in again next week.